This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, we're coming to the really the closing of a series on uh, called Empowered that is on the topic of spiritual gifts, and we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and last week uh, we had a message from verses 1 through 5, which covered the topic of speaking in tongues and prophecy. This is what Paul is addressing in the life of this church, and uh, we gave some uh, fair uh, warnings and help, I think, to our guests last week uh, that we would be having a sermon on the theme of tongues and prophecy, and everything worked out great. I mean, we had paramedics on standby. No one required oxygen. Uh, it was wonderful. You never can tell what's going to happen in that kind of a context. And uh, so these are topics that are unfamiliar to many of us. If you're not a Christian or you're pursuing Christianity, or uh, it, it would be completely understandable this is foreign to you. There are others of us who are Christians, and this is foreign to us as well. And uh, that may be because we've just avoided the topic. Maybe we've had a bad experience. Most people have someone in the family tree uh, some relative somewhere that's a bit whack and has is into crazy spirit stuff. And so we avoid it because of that person or because we saw something on uh, a TV evangelist did or something like this. And so we kind of avoid it. That's where some of us may be. Um, others of us, it's just foreign because we have, frankly, a very sub-New Testament Christian experience. Paul can write to these folks and just say, um, I thank God that you have every spiritual gift, even in the midst of a bad experience. Paul can write to this church where uh, spiritual gifts and spiritual phenomena are very common among them. As a matter of fact, he's got to limit what's happening in their midst. And the reality is that for many of us, Christianity can just become a very manageable kind of a deal. It's just sort of a lifestyle. You just embrace certain values, family values, safe for the whole family. That's not the New Testament. We vote a certain way. We're Christian. That's not the New Testament. We we have a certain lifestyle. We have a certain sort of external code that we conform our lives to. The New Testament is that Jesus died for sinners, was buried, rose, uh, sits at the right hand of uh, of the Father, pours out the Spirit on the church that God lives in people. That's the New Testament. God lives in people. That's not always nice, neat, orderly. That's not always leave it to beaver. And that's often the impression that we have of sort of a moralistic, manageable kind of Christianity. Yet when we read the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit shows up, he sometimes does things that he wants to do that are entirely unexpected. The Holy Spirit is not a gentleman. Let's be clear on that. I hadn't heard that growing up. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. As if he's just going to politely say, if this is okay with you, sir, uh, what? 
<laughs> tongues of fire over people's heads, okay, blowing like a rushing wind on the day of Pentecost, people speaking out in languages they don't know. I don't think he asked anybody's permission on that Acts 2 business. I think he just showed up and was God in their midst. And so one of the concerns can be that some of this can be strange to us for understandable reasons. We don't under, we've never been taught. We've never read it. It's foreign. We want to keep our distance because we saw abuses. All of that's completely understandable. But in my own life, I have a concern that I not just settle for a manageable type of Christianity that I can sort of control with the Holy Spirit being a gentleman uh, bending to my wishes as opposed to someone who says, come Spirit of God and have your way in our midst. That's the kind of person I want to be, and I think that's the kind of church we want to be, people that are open to what the Lord does with biblical parameters, with biblical guardrails firmly in place. And yet the mystery and the wonder of God is living among his people, and he is active. That's a wonderful, wonderful reality. Well, let me review last week what we said in a few verses. We said that um, tongues and prophecy are both spiritual gifts, but they're different in that they're aimed at different audiences. Tongues is speech directed towards God, we read last week. It's a spiritual gift that enables someone to pray to God or to praise or thank God in a language that they do not know or understand. Prophecy, on the other hand, is speaking to the church in a language they do understand, and it is speech where God puts something on someone's heart to speak, and God gives an impression, a message, an idea, a truth, and they speak that, and it builds up the church, it encourages the church, it comforts the church, is what Paul says in the verses we studied last week. So he says tongues can build up an individual, prophecy builds up the whole church, so basically pursue prophecy. Because we want to build up the whole church. When you gather, don't pursue personal experience per se, but pursue an experience for the whole church. And so Paul, Paul doesn't want tongues being spoken in the gathering without the gift of interpretation so that it can be understood what is said. So that's what we talked about last week, and then we're, he's going to walk us through this in a very careful way this week. And so because this can oftentimes be so experiential and so testimony, testimonial, um, I, I'm going to walk us right through this verse by verse and in some verses word by word. We're just going to stay very close to the text because I think that's the way you should always approach the Bible. But especially on this kind of topic, it's, it's most helpful. So I'm going to read the section. I'm going to read one through five because that's what we talked about last week and that defines the gifts. And then we're going to look at six through 25, but I'll read the whole thing. Verse one. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? 
If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church... I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's pray. Lord, this is our prayer, God really among us. Lord, we pray that you would be among us now as we look into your inerrant, authoritative word. We pray that you would speak to us from this scripture clearly. Lord, we lay our own experience or lack of experience aside, and we want to measure that by your word, our plumb line. God, we pray that you would have your way In our church, God, we don't want anything occurring in our church that is not genuinely biblical. And at the same time, we don't want to avoid anything that is genuinely biblical. Lord, have your way. We submit ourselves to you and ask that you have your way in our midst. Glorify yourself. Show us Jesus the Savior in all his power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in these first verses, uh, I think there's kind of three sections. In, in the ESV, it's written down, it's uh, broken up in three paragraphs. So I'm going to look paragraph by paragraph. The first paragraph, here's what I think the big idea is. The congregation isn't built up by what it can't understand. The congregation isn't built up by what it can't understand. That's what he's saying. Verse 6, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If I come to you speaking in tongues, I think that's what the Corinthians wanted. It seems like they're fascinated. He has to bring so much adjustment to this gift that I think they wanted him doing that. 
Paul, if you're really spiritual, you would show up speaking in tongues, but you don't do that. He said that he's not going to do that. And uh, without interpretation, he's not going to do that. And so they probably desire that. But he's saying, if I do that, how are you going to benefit? If I come saying something that no one understands, which some of my sermons qualify for that, but we're talking about speaking in tongues, something that no one understands what's being said, how are you going to benefit, he says. I need to bring you a revelation or a teaching or a prophecy um, or knowledge. What do those all have in common? Well, they're different. Prophecy, teaching, knowledge, revelation. Those are all maybe nuanced uh, in different ways. But the point is they're all in English, so to speak. Not literally, but so to speak. For our, I'm just kind of translating it into our context. What he's saying is if I come to you and I bring knowledge or I give you a prophecy, it's in English and everybody gets it. But if I come to you in tongues, nobody gets it. And so it's not beneficial. So he gives three analogies to prove this point. Here's the first one, verse 7. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? What he's saying is a musical instrument must give distinct notes and it's sort of a recognizable pattern for it to be music. Think here, fourth grade violin first lesson. Okay, that's what you need to think. So we got a kid with a good heart and no skill, And we get a bunch of squeaks and squawks that only a mother could love. But even a loving mother wouldn't call it music. It's just some, some, you know, random sounds. And that's what he's saying. If you just have kind of random sounds, but they don't flow together to make chords, or they're not strung together to create a melody, then who would recognize it as music? Second analogy he uses is similar. Distinct notes are necessary to give direction. You have to have distinct notes for music. You have to have distinct notes for direction. Look what he says in verse 8. If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So if it's time to go to battle and the bugle player wakes up and just plays some kind of random notes that no one's ever heard before, people are going to be looking around going, what? Are we supposed... Is this charge or is this retreat or is this go back to as you were or what is this they wouldn't recognize it but he stands up and go charge everybody okay oh i know that tune that's not random indistinct that means i'm to go i get it that's what he's saying if there's if there's not distinct notes there's no direction given And so he makes the point in verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, that's tongues, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. So like a musical instrument, it's not music. It doesn't give a, a charge. It does not give direction if it's not distinct. And his third analogy is that of a foreign language. Verse 10, there are doubtless many languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner, this is key, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So now he moves off music and he moves uh, moves to language. He says, if someone's speaking a language that you do not know, there's many languages, and if someone speaks one you do not know, you are foreign to one another. If you've ever been in a country where you didn't know the language, didn't know any of the language. And here we're not talking about, well, I could pick up a word 
or two that kind of sounded like my language. We're talking about you don't understand anything. Have you had that experience? I know a little Spanish. I can pick up a little Spanish. If I hear somebody speak, I can pick up some. If I hear somebody speaking, uh, and because of that, I could probably pick up a little Italian. Uh, I sat through (laughs) two years of French in high school. I could pick up a phrase or two. That was pretty sad. But I could pick up a little. I just didn't learn much. Pick up a little bit of that. But if someone's speaking Chinese, I couldn't pick up a word. I wouldn't go, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds, that's right. That sounds like car in English. I wouldn't get a word of it. If somebody's speaking Russian, I wouldn't get a word of it. If, if I was in China and everyone's speaking Chinese, it would not bring us together at all if we weren't allowed to do hand motions and stuff. It would not bring us together at all. I would not know what they're saying. And they would be a foreigner by virtue of their language to me, and I would be a foreigner to them. Here's what Paul says. The church is a family. The church is home. The church is our ultimate home in some ways. It's the people of God. And you're bringing the people of God home and you're behaving in a way that makes one another foreigners to each other. A common language brings common ground. We've got to be able to have intelligibility and communication to build our lives together in Jesus Christ. So you're bringing people together where there should be unifying communication, where we should be acting and behaving and speaking in such a way that communicates family, home, together, the body, one. And what you're doing is you've got people standing up and saying things that no one understands. And so it's like my brother is not, I'm not growing closer to my brother, my friend. We're like foreigners to each other right now. And probably what was happening in Corinth is that there was certainly possibly some cliques circled around who had what gifts. And those who had this gift were seen as super spiritual So those who can do this unintelligible thing that Paul's going to say is childish, not tongues, but tongues in church without interpretation, that he's going to say that's childish in a bit. Their thinking is childish and they're acting like foreigners to one another. They should be growing familiar with one another in worship. They should be growing increasingly familiar in their knowledge of the Savior and They're acting like foreigners to one another. So what he says in verse 12 is, So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Play some music so that people get it. Sound a call so that people can respond. Speak in a way that everyone understands so there can be communion together and ultimately communion with Christ Because the congregation isn't built up by what they can't understand. Here's what I found going through this, by the way. We're going to come to some bumpy road here in about 10 minutes, but largely when you go through this, this this is pretty simple, is it not? Sometimes it's like, whoa, tongue, it's so mystical, or prophecy, what does it all mean? And it's so confusing. He's saying pretty simple stuff here, isn't he? Just, Just speak in a way that everybody can understand. Why, Paul? Because nobody's built up if they don't understand. That's his point second point he makes in the next paragraph is this. I think he would say it this way. Think about the congregation when you think about tongues. Think about the congregation when you think about tongues. Why? Because the congregation's not built up by what they can't understand. Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Why should someone who speaks in a tongue pray for the power to interpret? 
Look at the verse before. Strive to excel in building up the church. The person who speaks in a tongue should pray that they should interpret because if this was used publicly, people could understand and the church could be built up by that. If they don't, they're not built up. That's Paul's goal, to build up the church. Let me make a couple side points on this one verse and then we'll, we'll go back tracking with the other verses. Um, here's a couple side verses, uh, side thoughts. Um, the Bible makes clear in chapter 12 that God sovereignly, that means he's in control, it's his will and his decision, that God sovereignly gives gifts to people that he wants them to have the gifts. That was clunky. Let me say it again. God chooses who has what gifts. God gives you your gifts. Back in 12 verse 7, uh, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Well, who's it given by? It's given by God. God sovereignly gives the gifts to the people he wants to have. But here is biblical precedent for requesting a gift. Some people say, well, I would never pray for a gift. I mean, you don't ask for a gift from God. He's sovereign, right? Paul just said, at least in this instance, here's a precedent. The one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Chapter 12 says interpretation of tongues is a spiritual gift. He's not asking for a set of Rosetta Stone tapes or something like their CDs or whatever it is. He's not saying get that videos. He's not saying get that and you can then learn the language. He's saying pray for the power to interpret. In 14.1, he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially you may prophesy. So we're to be informed, chapter 12.1, I'm going to build a little line here, 12.1, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. 14.1, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially you may prophesy. 14.13, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. I think there's a line here that we're to be informed about the gifts. That's to build a desire about the gifts, and one way desires expressed is through prayer for gifts. So I think it's appropriate to pray, Lord, your will be done, but I ask, I have a burden for a particular gift, and to ask for that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Instead of in a complete passivity which says, well, if God ever wants me to use any gift, he will take care of that. Here's a second point here that I think is, is uh, relevant, is that we don't know a lot about the nature of the tongue's language that's being spoken. This is, in some circles, highly debated, and I'm not really sure I understand why it's highly debated, but it's, it's highly debated whether these are literal languages that are being spoken or whether it's the tongues of angels, which Paul, uh, Paul alludes to in 13.1. Whether these are actual languages that are currently being spoken or not, the point of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is that these languages are unknown by those present and would only be known by a supernatural gift of interpretation. So in other words, um, Paul's not envisioning, I, I, I think this kind of thing could happen. I think someone, God can do whatever he wants. I think someone could stand up and preach in a language they didn't even know. I've heard anecdotally stories like that. And Someone heard it in their own language and became a Christian. If God wanted to do something like that on the mission field or something or wherever, evangelistically, he's absolutely free to do that. But I think what's happening here is that's not what's the, the, uh, the impression. When he says pray for the power to interpret, he's, it's a supernatural gift. And so whether this is literally a language that's currently spoken or not, it would not be interpreted apart from 
a gift, which is what 1 Corinthians 12 says. In 1 Corinthians 12, he's going through the manifestations of the Spirit, and he says, uh, verse 10, various kinds of tongues to another person is given the interpretation of tongues, which is not your native language, but is a manifestation of the Spirit. So whether they're real languages or not, the primary point is that you wouldn't know the language in this case, what he's talking about, barring a supernatural gift of interpretation. Um, So I think that's the important thing to consider. Pray for the power to interpret. Now, what he does next is he goes on to explain some more about this phenomenon of speaking in tongues. Verse 14. If I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Now, why is he calling it prayer? Why is he calling it praise? Well, as we looked last week in 14, verse 2, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So it's Godward speech. It's God-directed language. So he's calling, he's calling it prayer. If I pray in a tongue, it's also in the chapter called speaking in a tongue, or we could say praising in a tongue or thanking in a tongue, because he uses those as well. Um, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What does that mean? Well, he means his spirit from the, the core of his being, uh, his heart of hearts, his inner person, could pray and commune with God in a language he did, does not know. And when he says, my mind is unfruitful, he means, I do not understand. It's not intelligible to me. I don't know this language. That's why he said you've got to pray to interpret. I don't know this language, but my, my spirit is communing, as it were, with God and praying to him, even though I don't understand exactly what I'm saying, now in, or at all what I'm saying. Verse 4 of the same chapter, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So he makes the point that this is edifying to the individual, even though the mind is unfruitful. How can that be? I don't know, because in this passage, he doesn't describe it. I'm sorry, he doesn't explain it. He just describes it. There are certain places in Scripture that explain things, and there are other places that are descriptive, and I think this is just descriptive and not explanatory. He's saying the person who prays in a tongue earlier in the chapter is built up. Here he's saying this person can pray in a tongue and they are, uh, their mind doesn't understand. So what am I going to do with that? He says, verse 15, I'll pray with my spirit. That means I'll pray in tongues. I'll pray with my mind. That's praying with your understanding that you understand of what you're saying. I'll sing praise with my spirit. I'll sing praise with my mind. I'm going to do both, he says. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So now he's talking about if this is happening publicly, what's the effect of that? He's saying, I don't understand what I'm praying, if I'm praying in the Spirit. But earlier in the chapter, he says, I'm built up. But you're not built up by that experience. So you may be speaking in tongues. So if, if you're sitting where you are and, and you are, we're in prayer and you start praying out loud in tongues, the person next to you is not going to be benefited. He says, you may be giving thanks. You may be giving thanks. I've I've been asked this question before. What's the value of a gift that if you don't understand what you're saying, how can you be edified? Again, he just says it. He doesn't explain. 
But what's the value of that gift? Here's a real value of the gift that God is praised and God is thanked and God understands. So there's a real value there. Anytime God is praised, there's a value to that. I mean, that's, in, that's inherently value. There's, there's no greater value than the glory of God. And God has designed this mysterious gift and he uses it in a way that glorifies himself through praise and thanks. But others aren't benefited by it because they don't know what you're saying. And that's why Paul wouldn't allow this. And I think just in terms of etiquette, we wouldn't allow it on a mic, but I don't think it should be allowed off a mic either if, it's, if, if people can hear what you're saying and they don't understand what you're saying. I've been asked that as well. Well, how la- <laughs> um, I think all the questions I've been asked, I'm not laughing at anybody because I've asked the same question. This is a good question. I mean, how loud? Okay, I, I speak in tongues. How loud can I speak in tongues in the church service? Uh, I'd say loud enough so that the person, I mean, quiet enough so the person doesn't hear you and because they can't give thanks. Um, he, he addresses this. We'll look at this next week. But if you look on down, um, let's see, verse 28. If there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So quiet enough that you're speaking to yourself and to God. I think we know what that is. Because he's, he's thinking it, it won't edify and they'll think you're crazy. If you see someone, let me use a very natural illustration. If you see someone walking down the street speaking to themselves, that's what he says. You don't think anything about it. But if you see someone going down the street like this, and so I said, and then she said, and they don't have an earpiece in. And so then I said, and I'm like, oh, man, what are you? You're thinking, he's crazy. He's talking out loud to himself. That's the same thing. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Speak to yourself and God. You're not thinking that's crazy. They could be praying in English. I don't know how they're praying. But praying in a way that other people can't give thanks, he's about to say they'll think you're stark raving mad, so don't do it. So that's, that's what he says. They, you may be giving thanks, but others won't be built up. Now, Paul in verse 17 then goes on to give a bit of personal, verse 18, personal testimony. You may be giving thanks, verse 17, other person's not being built up, so don't do it, is the idea. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Is that hyperbole? I I don't think so. I I, I don't think. Uh, I think he's being sincere. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul speaks in tongues more than the Corinthians, um, who, at least in the New Testament, set the world into a record. But he beats them, and he speaks in tongues more than they do. But in church, he doesn't do that. He'd rather speak five words. He's inside, if I came to you speaking in tongues, I'm not doing that. I'm coming to you with prophecy, knowledge, teaching, revelation, something you can understand. I'm coming in English. Um, I was, but I speak in tongues more than all of you. So the question is, how does Paul walk out that private practice? What, what does that mean? That's kind of confusing. I speak in tongues more than all of you, but you've never heard me do that, maybe, is what he's saying, or rarely heard me do that. Sam Storms, a scholar and a pastor, said this about it. I thought this was so helpful. He said, if Paul speaks in tongues more frequently and fervently than anyone else, yet in church almost never does, preferring there to speak in a way all can understand, where does he speak in tongues? The only possible answer is that Paul exercised this remarkable gift in private in the context of his personal devotional intimacy with God. So it seems like that is the emphasis that he's making. 
in church. You can speak to yourself and God. If there's no one to interpret, don't be speaking out loud to others. Speak to God. And uh, I speak in tongues more than you all, but not in church. So where does he do it? Outside of the gathering would be, be, I think that'd be the simple understanding of the text. So when you think about tongues, think about the congregation Paul's saying. And people aren't going to be blessed if you're doing this uh, publicly without interpretation. Last section. Not only think about the congregation when you think about tongues, but think about the unbeliever when you think about tongues. Verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Don't be immature. So he's been pretty gracious. If I speak in a tongue, which he does, I, I, I mean, he's relating with everybody here. Now he's saying, guys, I just need to share something with you. You're being immature and childish, and don't be that way. Chapter 3, look how he addresses the Corinthians back in chapter 3. Um, you really don't want to get this warning. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Chapter 13, he said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Corinthians, you're still, I'm having to talk to you like infants. You're being very, what is, you're being very childish. What is childish? Well, childish is I want my way. You got kids? Childish is, look at me. The whole universe, stop. Everybody stop what you're doing and look at me. And now that you've seen me, look at me again. And now that you saw that trick, I've got another one that appears just like it, but I'm sure it's different. Look at me again. That's the Corinthians. Let's gather for worship. Look at me. Listen to me. Can you do this? He's saying it's childish. It's childish. They're not thinking as well about the unbeliever. And he's about to talk about that. He's moving on from childish. They're drawing attention that they're demanding their way. They're self-centered. They're me-centered. They lack self-control. Children don't have self-control. Paul's about to say, put a lid on the public tongues. Exercise some self-control. Unless there's interpretation, put a lid on it because it's not benefiting people and it's sure not benefiting the unbeliever. Children don't have self-control. And he's about to say here, where he's going next is about to get thick. I mean, he's going to say, be, be childish in your regard to evil, so be innocent in evil. But with regard to tongues, think like adults. Paul's saying, could I get an adult around here? Got any adults in Corinth? Because they're not seeing the damage of this practice. So far, it's been prophecy edifies tongues don't. So far, it's been you could be giving thanks to God, you are giving thanks to God, but others aren't benefited. Where he's going to go next is much more serious. Those are serious. But he's about to go real serious here. And uh, this next few verses that we're going to wrap up with, I'm just going to ask you, remain in your seats with your seatbelts fastened. There's a few turbulence uh, up ahead because this is a challenging section of Scripture to interpret. But we're going to move slowly, semi-slowly through it and be as clear as I know how to be. It's a whole sermon on intelligibility, and we could lose it right here. This is a bit of a confusing thing that he says. Verse 21, in the law it is written by people of strange tongues... And by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Okay, we got to stop right there. 
What he's quoting is Isaiah 28, 11 through 12, or he's kind of paraphrasing it. Isaiah 28, 11 through 12. Here's what Isaiah 28, 11 through 12 is about. Isaiah says, God came to you and spoke to you intelligibly in Hebrew. God spoke to you through the prophets in a way you could understand. And you know what? You blew off God. You didn't listen to God. So... Now by people of strange tongues and the, by the lips of foreigners, I'll speak to you. What's he talking about? God spoke to you in understandable language. You didn't listen. So the next voices you hear are the Assyrians. And they're coming in to invade your country and rule you. And so the next sound you hear is the sound of judgment. It's the sound of judgment. It's not the Hebrew prophet speaking to you, come to the Lord. You refused, so you're going to hear Assyrians who are going to come in and cart you off or rule over you or whatever the case may be. The next voices you hear are the voices of foreigners, and they're the voices of judgment. And he says here, look back at our verse, I'll speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So he's saying, foreigners are going to come speak to you, and you're still not going to respond. You're still going to be living out of unbelief. You're still going to be confirmed uh, in your unbelief. Even that, at least initially, will not get your attention. It's a sound of judgment. Now, next verse, verse 22. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. It almost sounds like he's saying the opposite of what he's just said. And the key to understanding this is what is the meaning of the word sign? We often think of a sign in the New Testament. It can be used different ways. We often think of it as something that points, usually points to Jesus. Signs and wonders are acts that point to Christ. But a sign could be positive or negative. And in, in Isaiah 28, it's negative. The sign of a foreign tongue being spoken is the sign of judgment. And not only is it the sign of judgment, it's the sign of judgment that ends up confirming the person in their unbelief and that of the people. That's why he says... Even then, they will not listen to me. The foreigners are coming to speak, and even when you hear that, you didn't respond. You didn't understand. You know, they're coming. You're not seeing God in it. You're not responding, and you remain in your unbelief. So it's a sign that is negative to the uh, to hear this, and that's why he says in verse twenty three, "If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, I, I'm presuming that's what's actually happening at this church." Everyone comes together, everyone's, or many people speak in tongues, don't know if I'll have the gift, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? What's the comparison? An unbeliever comes in, gets his bulletin at the door, sits down, finds his pew, sits down, listens to the organ enter, you know, prelude or whatever, waiting for worship. Let's stand and worship. Everybody stands, and the whole room starts yelling or speaking or probably dramatically in languages he's never heard of. And he starts looking around, and his assessment is, you people are nuts. Where's the nearest exit? Because I am out of here. I was open to Christianity, wanted to know something. I heard about Jesus. But now the unbeliever comes in, hears a foreign tongue, and it confirms his unbelief. Why? Because he can't understand it. It doesn't draw him to Jesus. It confirms his unbelief. He, he, he leaves an unbeliever. 
And it's almost an act of judgment. It, it's, when God brings judgment, he obscures language. That's why at times Jesus spoke in parables that didn't understand, it, it, that people couldn't understand. The self-righteous were confirmed in their unbelief because they couldn't understand the parable. When God brings grace and deliverance, he speaks intelligibly. But in this case, in Isaiah 28, when he brings judgment, it's not understandable. And so you're bringing words that function like confirming them in their unbelief. Like It's like judgment. It's not grace to them because they can't understand. This is really serious what he's saying. Prophecy is used. Believers sense the presence of God. They go know God is present. But so do unbelievers. Look at verse 24. But if all prophesy, same thing. Guy walks in the church service, unbeliever, everybody's prophesying. And an unbeliever outsider enters, he's convicted. Oh, that's not judgment. That's grace. He's called to account. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare God is among you. Do you see if an unbeliever comes in, everybody's speaking in tongues. This is a bunch of nut jobs. I, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. Everybody's prophesying, speaking words. It's opening up his heart. God is here. He hits his knees. And says, starts to worship the Lord. He's convicted secrets of his heart. So Paul is not just saying it's unhelpful to speak in tongues when people don't understand. You know, it's okay, but you could actually um, do better if you would prophesy. He's, he's, he's raising it here. And he's saying, if everybody's speaking in tongues, there's no interpretation. And an unbeliever, you're not even thinking about an unbeliever. You're childish Corinthians. You're thinking about yourself. And you know what? You are obscuring. They don't know about Jesus. They just know that you're crazy and they don't want to have anything to do with it. You're pushing people away from Christ. Prophecy will draw them to Christ. Paul is concerned about the unbeliever. How do we apply this? You may say, I've never been in a church service like that. I don't even know how, but my experience is so different from the Corinthians. I don't even know how to apply this. I think there's some principles that we can all apply. One is, let's work hard at intelligibility. Let's, let's work hard at making things make sense. And, and, and probably that's more people who are speaking uh, at church when we gather. So certainly, things need to be clear from here. Things need to be clear from here. Things need to be clear in the children's ministry. Wherever instruction is going on, there needs to be clarity. We need to strive for clarity because we want the church built up and we want unbelievers to know the Lord. Um, So we certainly want to be a people of intelligibility. But secondly, if we look at this passage that we just read, I think we, we want to realize the value of this gift of tongues. Last week we talked about the value of prophecy. But while Paul is really opposed to this, everybody speaking in tongues out loud, he's for the gift. He's for the gift. Just to review, verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So if this is a gift for today, I don't believe this was a gift that was revelation, that was in the sense communicating scripture. That There's no sense that when once we get the scripture that prayer and praise and thanks to God is no longer necessary or no longer a gift. I mean, why would it be? Why, why would it? Why? Because once we have the Bible, there's no need to pray uh, in this manner, this, using this gift to glorify the Lord and thank him and praise him and pray to him and uh, encourage the believer. I, there's no reason why that wouldn't be relevant for today. 
Um, but not everyone has that gift. How do I know? Here's a question I get asked sometimes. How do I know if God has given me this gift? Um, I think I would start with, this is just a little bit of practical advice. I think I would start with desire. If that's a desire on your heart, then I would just express that back to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I'm learning about this. I'm reading the Bible about this. And I have a desire for this. There's, there's at least one verse where you say it's, um, you command to pray and ask for a certain gift. So at least an accompanying gift. But I, I just desire that. And then I think I would pray and ask the Lord. And then what? See what happens. That's profound theology right there. It's in the Bible. If you don't believe it, well, don't do it. You've got to be of faith. But if you read the Bible and you think, yeah, this is for today and I have a desire for this, then ask the Lord in faith and see what happens. And that is, that, that's what it would do. It's a gift. Not everyone speaks in tongues. At the end of chapter 12, he's asking a series of questions. And he says, you know, uh, are all apostles, are all prophets? The implied answer is No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all have gifts of helping? No. Do all have gifts of administrating? No. Do all have the gifts of various kinds of tongues? No. You know, he he answers before that not everyone does, but we can certainly ask. And while we don't know how many do and how many don't have been asked, how how many people, do a lot of people at Grace Church speak in tongues? I don't know. We don't ask that when people join the church. Uh, let's see, okay, were you saved? Tell us your testament, great. Do you speak in tongues? What's your ATM pin number? I mean, we're just not asking that question. It's not, it's not like part of the entry into the church. It's not don't ask, don't tell. You're welcome to tell anybody if you do. But I don't know. My, my hunch is that probably numbers of people do, uh, privately, as Paul describes in this passage. But here's what I would say, and this is, I'm I'm telling you something experientially now. I'm not reading you a verse, so I'm going to make that distinction, but I think it's valid, valuable. I think if God has given the desire, he often gives, not always, but he often gives the gift. So if that's your desire, I would pray. And if he doesn't, that's fine. He's sovereign. He's given you other gifts. Use the gifts he's given you for the glory of God. Don't be jealous of someone else's gifts. Don't be discontent because someone else has some other gifts. If he's given you gifts, use the gifts that you have and don't be anxious about it. And, um, and here's another thing that's, this is experiential as well, because the Bible doesn't tell how does this happen. Now we see on the day of Pentecost, it happens all at once for a lot of people. But my experience is with people that who do speak in tongues is that it just, they just prayed and it happened sometime. I probably know more people that have told me I was just praying in my devotional life and I started praying in tongues than I responded to an altar call. Not a pro, I'm not opposed to praying for a group of folks for this at all, but uh, it just happens, I think, to people at different times. I remember one guy in the church I pastored before here, he had this experience, he was very excited about it, so he was going to call his pastor and tell him I started speaking in tongues It's the pastor I served with. And... Uh, so he called the home phone. He was just so excited. The pastor's wife, this is true, answered the phone. And she just said, hello. And he said, hey, he knew her. She knew him. He said, guess what I did in the shower today? She was like, whoa, I held off. Hold off. I don't want to hear about your shower experiences. Uh, but he said, I spoke in tongues. And that was his experience. So I'm assuming it can happen in your devotional life. It can happen in your shower. It can happen driving down the street. It can happen in worship. It can happen while we're singing praise to God. I think you should pray. I think you should wait. 
And I think you should be content if you don't have the gift and content if you do, um, knowing that God gives gifts. So let's realize the value of it. Paul is very opposed to it publicly without interpretation, but he's real big on it in his own life somewhere. And he says it's not in the church necessarily. Uh, Last point, let's realize the value of prophecy to speak to people that don't know him. If you read Paul's letters, there's not much about evangelism in the New Testament in Paul's letters. He doesn't talk a lot about... uh, He's very gospel. He's very gospel driven. So the the words of the gospel are all over the place, and that's evangelistic. But you don't get a lot of Paul talking about preaching the gospel to the lost in the church, in the in the gathering of the church. You, you don't get a lot of that kind of stuff. But here you do. And what he says is that an unbeliever can come in, and if someone's prophesying, their heart can be opened. Now it's for Christians. It's primarily for building up the church. But an unbeliever can be called to account. He falls on his face. He worships God and declares that God is really among you. That's a powerful thing. First of all, he's anticipating unbelievers in the worship service, and so should we. I've, I've got a whole message I want to bring on this. This is a burden I have uh, to to stoke this fire afresh in our church. I'm going to be bringing something uh, uh, on our mission, our gathered witness. Because this is a time of witness and mission. See, most people don't read, I don't, read 1 Corinthians 14 and think mission. If I'm thinking mission, I'm going Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Book of Acts. Paul's got mission in 1 Corinthians 14, and the mission is when prophecy is occurring, lost people can meet Christ because the content of the prophecy will show them their utter, you know, their utter need for a Savior and point to Jesus. It's powerful. I mean, who would think of evangelism in Corinth? And I believe there are many that don't know the Lord that the Lord wants to speak and stir and begin to draw them to himself through spiritual gifts, and specifically prophecy. We had a gal in our church, a a teenager who got baptized, Brianna Becker, and she shared her testimony. Um, And I remembered her testimony and got it from her, got her permission to share a section of it. But as I read 1 Corinthians 14 and I thought back on her testimony, I thought, this is it. She she, uh, grew up in the church, church kid, she talks about, you know, struggling with assurance, am I a Christian or not? And then this is, you know, you know, where am I at? Am I even a Christian? Does all that kind of stuff. This is what she says, and I'm reading her words. A couple of months ago, I was really doubting my faith. I had disobeyed earlier that week and was really thinking that God did not care about me anymore. I walked into church and the music for worship had been going already just a little bit. Right as I walked through the door, a person came up and said that they felt that someone in the room was doubting their faith. They gave some scripture about it, and right as I heard them talking about what I was feeling inside, I immediately felt the presence of God and felt God speaking directly to me through that person. I could not even stand up at that moment, even though I was just walking in and had not even had a seat yet. I fell down onto my knees. Now, I don't know how familiar she is with this verse. I didn't ask her. That's exactly what he says, is that, uh, well, he says falling on his face. Secrets of his heart disclosed. When prophecy comes, an unbeliever, an outsider, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and falling on his face, he'll worship God. I fell down onto my knees. I was thanking God for showing me that he was watching out for me and that he really did care. 
Right after that person got done, another person got up and was encouraging a person who was doubting their faith. Exactly what I was feeling again. I could not believe how God was using people that day in my life. You would think that it would even stop there. But the next song that was played was about thanking God for saving you. And that was when I truly did realize what God has done for me. And that God is more than just there. He is working in our lives every day. And ever since then, I have not doubted my faith. And my relationship with God has gotten stronger, even stronger than before. And then she goes on and articulates kind of a a moment of meeting with God later where things are really solidified and she was ready to be baptized. That's exactly what he's talking about. Someone comes in who may or may not be a Christian, wondering, I don't have assurance, I don't know. And someone says something that reveals the secrets of their heart where the person's like, how could they know that that's me here today? And hit their knees and God ministers. And then we have the privilege of baptizing this gal. There's a lot of Brianna Beckers out there that I think the Lord wants to speak to. God saves people through the preaching of the gospel. I'm not coming up with a new plan of evangelism. But God uses spiritual gifts to get attention, soften our hearts, draw us in, and he uses it to build up the church as well. I think we want to see the value of all of his gifts, the value of speaking in tongues, the value of prophecy to build up the church, and in some cases even to reach the lost, to point our attention to Jesus who gave his life, not that we might live moral, balanced lives, but that we might go from death to life, darkness to light, empowered by his spirit, indwelt by his spirit, God alive in his people, God alive in his church, God moving and acting. We can't make that happen. We can't make anybody prophesy. We can't and are strongly opposed to any idea of teaching someone to speak in tongues. That's absurd. We can't heal anybody. We can't have a message of knowledge. We can't preach the scripture and make someone convicted by it. But the Holy Spirit is pleased to do all of those things to those who come in hunger, desiring him to move. Let's pray. Lord, we... We just pray, God, that you would stir up your gifts in our midst, that your spirit would move among us in ways that stretch us, Lord. We think about all the different ways we'd love to see you move in our midst through mercy, through caring for the weak and marginalized, through proclaiming the gospel, through sanctification, uh, through sacrifice, of sacrificial following of you, Lord, through husbands loving wives parents raising their children to know you, being a witness in the marketplace. We think of all the ways we desire the Spirit to move, illuminating our hearts to teach us the Scripture, leading us to prayer. Lord, all of these things, but today we want to pray specifically for not all those things, but for what this text says before us. And we pray that we'd be those of faith, that we would trust you, that you move and you act and you stir and you build up. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.